0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 116 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director-producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here with my co-host Marcelo Inostroza, as we continue our rewatch of Fringe Season 4. Today we are talking about episodes 6 and 7 of the fourth season, first episode, and Those We've Left Behind, which aired November 11th, 2011. Written by Robert Schiapetta and Glenn Whitman, directed by Brad Anderson. Marcelo, if you take my stapler, I am gonna burn the building down.
1: I actually I actually really, really like this this um this first episode. Cause I I love the fact that it it, it starts within a dream sequence and it's basically Peter and Olivia having a standard you know, a family fun day in the park. And as the dream goes on, Olivia in the dream tells Peter that he doesn't belong. And he just wakes up in prison. And then we find out that apparently, apparently there is, there is time slippage happening in the universe. So our fringe team believes that Peter is responsible for this, Somehow, and then they go into investigate, and then a bunch of, uh, you know, you know, uh, wibbly wobbly time shenanigans happen. But I love the initial setup of this episode with Peter having a dream about Olivia, and getting a look into what their relationship could possibly be in the future if our Olivia is able to remember our, her feelings for Peter.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you liked that. <laughs> I, I typically don't love dream sequences of any kind and it just served to remind me what the writers have taken away. So the fact that this is the Peter that I want in the show but everybody else is not the versions of themselves that interact with him in the way that I want. So I get a little bit frustrated again, but the, the best aspect of this episode is And it is not the fact that, again, we have a fringe incident happening because a husband is doing something for his wife, which is like they've got five different things that they just pull out of a hat, it feels like, at this point, and it's like mystery of the week. Oh, it's a husband going to extraordinary lengths to help his family. And I'm like, okay, again? 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 And in this point, I get it. And this is actually like a a, a topic that, will hit home for a lot of people. And the fact that it is this husband doing this thing because his wife has dementia and he wants to go back to a time where she didn't have that is relatable. But I, I basically check out for like a lot of the mystery of the week stuff. But the thing that I did love about this first episode is that we are in Peter's point of view for the entire three quarters of the episode which I absolutely loved. And as shit starts to go weird with the time travel, Joshua Jackson finally, for the first time in this fourth season is able to have fun because when he moves and he's like, Oh fuck, how did I get here? What happened? His disorientation and him knowing that he has had a time jump in that moment is a blast. And I loved all of that. That stuff, Worked 100% for me. The fact that we are in Peter's point of view. That we're jumping around through time. And going forward and back. So I love that it's not just forward all the time. It's not just like he's blacking out. He goes forward. Then he goes back. Then he goes back forward. That stuff really worked. And was the heart and fun of the episode. Just seeing Peter have a good time. And be exasperated by the fact that he's like. Oh shit. I'm somehow causing this. But I don't know how to stop it.
1: For me, the case of the week MacGuffin with the with the husband doing something awful to preserve a happier a happier time in his life because of his because his wife having dementia that really played well for me because like I've mentioned in earlier seasons of Fringe I really like when the quote unquote Fringe villain is not doing something to harm the universe, but is doing something for selfish reasons. With that being said, I do, I can level with you just a little bit in that at this point in the series, it's a little bit odd that they keep, that they keep pulling uh, the same story ideas for Cases of the Week out of the same hat. You, w- you would think at this point in the series, they would have a sense of momentum and they would be going towards something bigger and something better. How many
0: husbands have gone to extraordinary lengths on fringe when just gender flip it, if it was the wife and the husband had the Alzheimer's, it would have felt fresh.
1: And imagine this. I mean, just just playing devil's advocate for a minute. Imagine if they wanted to do this episode, they called up JJ and said, you know what? We need a powerhouse actress to play the wife in this episode because we want to gender flip. What about, imagine if they would have got Carrie to play the wife, and Carrie was the one behind all of this. We would have gone crazy.
0: Definitely. Definitely. would have absolutely loved that if they could have found a way that the budget probably wasn't there to make it worth her while.
1: The other thing, well, uh, the main thing that really bugged me in this episode was Walter's Walter's insistence that Walt, the main thing that bugged me in this episode was Walter's insistence not to help Peter. Walter goes out of his way to acknowledge, to, to basically say, my son doesn't exist. This guy's an aberration. I'm not going to deal with this. I understand how Walter feels, but again, at, at a certain point, I'm like, Walter, you have to, you have to acknowledge to at least a point that he is your son. And I understand your feelings, but you need to deal with them and you need to help this man. Because if you do not get out of your own way, something much worse could happen because of your inability to accept what is in front of your face at this very moment. So that act really pissed me off in this episode.
0: Yeah, it is frustrating as they are plotting on the map and trying to figure out what is happening. And if there's a pattern and Walter, because he has refused begrudgingly, he spots it and he's like, Oh, like, I don't want to help you people, but this is the fucking thing that I got to point out that it's this spiral and it's a Fibonacci sequence. And Oh my God, I can't believe I'm helping the people I said I wouldn't help, which is frustrating to us because, We are still on Peter's side where we're just like, get over it. We I like that we're in this weird period and the show is still trying to shake things up by not falling back into the familiar. But it really does start to get annoying when every version of Walter that we've ever known has been so devoted to Peter, you know, Walternet, prime Walter before this, that now that this one is like, willingly trying to shut this guy out when we know that if he would just open his heart and try and do his best, like he can find a way to make this back to the way we want it. And so his reluctance is, I think the writers want us to be frustrated. They want us to be fucking mad at Walter because we know Walter will be so much happier if he just gives in and lets this happen and goes with it and fixes it. And It's giving John Noble a little bit more to do, but I do feel like they have sidelined Walter a little bit, and I'll talk about it more next episode, but I feel like his role has been a little bit diminished as we are adding a few more of these elements this season. They still give him interesting scenes, but I feel like Walter is not as prominent so far in these first six episodes as he used to be. And I know that's a mechanic of the fact that now we've got Lincoln Lee here, Astrid's out in the field, that that there's other people who are raised up as a result, but I'm starting to notice a little bit. Now, the thing I did like about this is once Walter points this out and they pinpoint, Peter is still thinking that he is somehow responsible for this stuff happening. And he realizes, okay, this guy's doing this and they've, unlock all this backstory and shit and Peter realizes he's the only one who can enter this situation by building a portable Faraday cage and going in Marcella what are you thinking as finally we're we're making a case where Peter is the the linchpin he's the only guy who can fix this so he's got something to do
1: I thought I thought I thought it was karma because the entire episode Peter was basically begging Walter for his help. And despite Walter's attempts to pretend that Peter doesn't exist, Peter's the one that sort of forces Walter to give the team the answer. The MacGuffin that Walter builds so the fringe team can deal with this is worn by Peter. So I thought it was very, very, very poetic that the one guy... That Walter was trying to shield away from his, that Walter was trying to shield away from himself is the one guy that basically solved this case for the fringe team. The the Faraday jacket that Walter built was awesome. Uh, when he said Faraday, I have to be honest, I thought of one guy. So I'll I'll just I'll just leave that there because if you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you know who we're talking about. But I really like the effect of what happens to individuals who are not wearing a Faraday, uh, a Faraday buckle jacket when they step into the bubble because there's a scene of this random cop guy going into the bubble not realizing that there's a big time bubble there and within seconds he starts to go mad and he just disintegrates. So I thought that was a very, very awesome effect and I really, really liked it. Also... I like the production. I like the production design of this episode, with the machine that this husband builds in the basement. I, I I thought it was really cool and it was really really effective. Um, I like the emotional beats of of the of the wife coming to the understanding that it's not two thousand seven anymore. I really like those. I, I really like that moment, and I like the moment when the wife basically uh, basically barters for her barters for her husband with our team saying listen i'll get him to shut down i'll get him to shut down the machine but you have to promise me that he has immunity and before her husband shuts down the machine she claims to give her husband the answer so once all this is done and once our fringe team goes away he can rebuild this machine, but to only understand that after all that happens, she basically blanked. She basically blanked out her work with a with a magic black marker. I thought that was really sad, and 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 really touching to me. But yeah, I I liked all those beats. Yeah, I did like that. The wife is the
0: one who starts bartering for his immunity, because she realizes that he has crossed the line. And the husband is still like in full, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out shooting mode. And she's like, no, please, like, stand down and let's figure this out. And I did like that, you know, we get this story where the husband even agrees to all of this, knowing that he's still got the book with the formula. And when Steven Root, who plays the husband and currently can be seen on HBO's Barry as Fuchs and most famously was on the movie Office Space as Milton. When he opens the book, and the whole formula has been redacted, I'm like, good, fucking great, because I don't want this shit to happen again. And he's devastated, and he plays it really well, but the wife knows that this is the right thing to do, because this husband, if he tries again, is going to destroy the universe, or at least, at minimum, himself. So she realizes, like, you know, it's not worth it, so I'm going to make it impossible for him to to use this again. And I thought that was the part that was the strongest of this story that felt similar to some other stories to me, but that I did like that the wife is the one who redacts that whole thing so that the husband can't do it again. So that was really interesting. And after they isolate this situation just in time, And as you said, we did see that one person disintegrate who didn't have the jacket. That was fun. That was a comical moment in a very heavy sequence of events. Peter does say to Broyles, because Broyles says, good job, it wasn't you. And Peter says, it wasn't me this time, but I think the only reason this happened is because me coming into this universe has fucked up physics so that shit like this can happen. And... Royals is like well that might be the case but you know you did a good job so like you're part of the team now and I liked that they are saying as we have kind of hinted that something is off with this universe in totality that now even physics is a little bit off its axis because something has gone wrong so weird fringe events that normally wouldn't be able to happen can start to happen and then when Peter does move into the house on campus, that part was great. I was just like, okay, we still got this set, so let's use it. And we're moving Peter in, and they're dusting the thing off. And I love when he's just like, do I get an allowance? And it's like, okay, finally, Peter is being integrated back into the team, at least for the time being. So that little bit at
1: the end of the episode
0: at least made me happy.
1: Uh, what did you think about the scenes with my man Lincoln? Cause I because I want to go back to I, I want to go back to an earlier point that you mentioned. You mentioned that it seems that John Noble, A.K.A. Walter, has been sidelined for most of you know for you know for for a little bit, and I'm wondering what I'm wondering. Don't you think if if the writers knew that they were adding another individual to the team. Don't you think they could have found a better balance in that we could have each member of our fringe team doing something to solve the case of the week or the, or the incident of the week, so to speak. So that way we wouldn't have had Walter sort of in the background.
0: Yeah, I do think so. And part of it is just that the new dynamic that they have settled on with this character's backstory is that this Walter doesn't leave the lab. So in this episode and in the next episode, like we have seen Walter previous where Astrid, check the anus, Astrid is out in the field and he's in the lab talking to her over a headset because this Walter doesn't go outside. So if our scenes aren't in the lab, then Walter is basically not in them because he used to go on site when a lot of stuff was going down and this Walter doesn't. He doesn't go outside, which is a character choice that they made at the start of this season, which is fine. But it really has handcuffed them that as everybody else is getting new roles, Walter is confined to a couple of spots. And if our scenes aren't taking place there, he can't be in them for story character background reasons. But he used to be out in the field side by side. He might not be jogging down the sidewalk with olivia dunham but he was in a car watching her so like that's the thing that i'm just really noticing this season so far
1: also also i really think that they did that so in a roundabout way they could build out the relationship between olivia and lincoln lee so it'll be interesting to see where that goes
0: episode seven wallflower Aired November 18th, 2011, written by Matthew Pitts and Justin Doble, directed by Anthony Hemingway, opens with a scene of Olivia and Lincoln at a late night restaurant, hanging out, having a chat, and then we get into our mystery of the week. Marcel, what did you think of Wallflower and this guy who has to commit murders to get Pigment because he just wants to be seen by the girl that he likes.
1: No, I thought, um, I thought that this was Fringe's attempt at doing a really cool, screwed up, uh, Hollow Man sort of deal. the The things that worked for me in this episode may surprise you. It's the the things that I really latched onto in this episode were the emotional beast between Olivia and Lincoln, and Olivia having. This headache that we previously weren't made aware of, I don't know if it had been mentioned in previous episodes, so it kind of came out of nowhere for me It kind of came out of nowhere for me but i w- i but I wonder because something so innocuous as Olivia having migraines and needing and needing to get refills at three o'clock in the morning. I wonder if the writers are going to pay that off in any kind of interesting way. As far as the whole thing about the, um the bad guy in this episode, the invisible man wanting to be seen, I get that, but I'm like, okay, I get it. I don't care. Just stick with this. So, I am so this episode was fine. I almost wish that they would have stuck with the Olivia stuff more than the Invisible man, guy, you know, killing people to find a way to live, basically.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the character stuff in this episode is what I appreciated and I liked. But this was a mystery of the week I could not have given less of a shit about. So, say what you will, you know, call me out on it, it's fine. But this it just didn't hold my attention. And the fact that it was this, when we get the payoff of, like, he's seen... And he's so happy that, like, this girl mentions that she knew that he wasn't taking the elevator and she wondered where he was. And I was like, just give me a fucking break. I can't, I don't, I don't appreciate this. I'm just not feeling it. And as someone who has gotten migraines in the past, I wish that they had just said headaches instead of migraines. Cause if Olivia Dunham had a migraine, she ain't going fucking anywhere. She's going to be incapacitated. But they do actually explain kind of by the end of it how that may be. And it's not a full blown real migraine it, it is some sort of side effects of something that is happening to her. So I I do like that her and Lincoln do seem to be getting closer. And I like it in terms of a new dynamic that they're adding to the show. I don't like it in terms of my fucking guy is Peter Bishop that I'm rooting for. <laughs> and him and Olivia Dunham are the OTP of this show. So get this Lincoln guy off of my screen and get my original people back together. But Shipping aside, I think it's actually adding an interesting dynamic for the show and giving Olivia and Lincoln a little bit more to do. So to have Anna Torv and Seth Gable get more moments together, it is kind of sweet, and I am enjoying that in, in a purely entertainment and they're doing something different way. But in the shipper way, I'm like, no, no, no. No, What are you guys have the thing already. The thing is the banter between Josh Jackson... And Anna Torv, and you guys got it. It's in the. You got the lightning in a bottle. Just uncork it. So that's the thing I keep waiting for. But I do like that we see Peter working and looking at the the machine blueprints and trying to find a way to fix this himself. What are you thinking? As that's kind of like a, a very low subplot to this episode, as this Hollow Man stuff is playing
1: out. As Peter is going through the motions and is thinking about sort of snapping himself back into back into uh, his own timeline, I'm like, "Oh God, please God, no, 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 no. If you're gonna if you're gonna do this, you need to think about the consequences. And if you're gonna do this, you need to think about getting Walter because if you do this by yourself, the chances of you snapping yourself back into your own timeline, are slim to none because we've acknowledged that when people fuck around with time in the fringe universe, nothing ever goes to plan, ever. So I think if if Walter or somebody else doesn't help out Peter, he could end up doing something much worse to the timeline. He could end up fucking it up even more. And that just gives me all sorts of nightmares. I really like that the writers took a kernel from an earlier episode in which Olivia said to Lincoln, "Listen, if you know if if this job becomes too much for you, I'm someone that you can come to to sort of unload." And this episode really shows that Lincoln has been dealing with the fucked up shit that the fringe division has been doing to him by himself, by staying up until three o'clock in the morning in some seedy diner. So I like that Olivia and Lincoln were able to sort of decompress together about their jobs and about what they do. Also, another scene that is really, really telling is a scene between Olivia and Astrid, where Astrid says, you know, Olivia asks Astrid, how do you deal with the shit that we, that we see on a daily basis? And she goes, Oh, I see the department shrink. That's how I deal. So I really like that. This Olivia Dunham is really, really isolated and is really, really, she, she doesn't really share her emotions with anyone. And I find it really interesting that the guy that she chooses to show her emotions with is our Lincoln Lee. Now, I'm with you, Matt. I'm just buying my time until Olivia wakes the fuck up and realizes that the love of her life is Peter and not Lincoln Lee. But with that being said, I'm enjoying the character dynamics between Olivia and Lincoln in this episode way more than I have previously.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I do like that Astrid scene with Olivia. And there is a, a funny moment where, Astrid is out in the field and Walter is in the lab talking to her over the thing and he's giving her instructions but his mouth is so full of food she can't understand it. She's like, are you eating right now? And he's like, oh yeah, of course I am. So I, I did like that and you know, again, we explain the Cortexafan stuff to Astrid in this because this universe, that's not as well known and Olivia has questions still about her being part of those experiments and maybe that's part of how she's feeling a certain way so i thought that was really interesting i will acknowledge that as much as i did not like the mystery of the week we can draw subtext and parallels to peter's situation because he is a man who's not being seen the way that he wants to be seen because he is displaced and i appreciate that but it's some heavy-handed shit that i don't think worked <laughs> So I like when the mystery of the week somehow has subtext that reflects what's going on with our core group. But this was like if we had a, a bullseye dartboard, I just feel like they threw it with the right intention, but it missed. So that's just my my read on that.
1: The other thing that really, really annoyed the shit out of me in this episode is there, there's a moment when Olivia goes to um, goes to Nina to to discuss... Her, her past in the Cortexafan trials, right? And Nita basically says, Look, regardless of what happened in the Cortexafan trials, you are as normal as anybody else. So I'm like, okay, they're bringing up Cortexafan again because they mentioned it in the previously on segment and they mentioned it to Astrid. And now we have Olivia going to Massive Dynamic and talking about her time at Cortexafan talking about how she had a positive effect on Nina's life when Nina basically adopted them. This whole Cortexafan thing, this whole setup is leading to the final moment when Olivia was supposed to meet Lincoln at the diner at 3 a.m. She's just about to step out of her apartment and wham! Some smoke comes from underneath her door. She passes out and some fiends inject her with some orange liquid that we can only attest has to be cortexifan, And then the camera pans up and you see Nina Sharp. And I go, lady, what the fuck are you doing? Is it possible that you, be- that you believe Peter? And that you are feeding Olivia with cortexafan to give her her headaches, to allow her brain to rejigger itself, to remember everything? But if you do that, why in the fuck won't you just come out with him? Why wouldn't you just tell her willy-nilly? Why the fuck do you have to do this cloaking Dagger bullshit? Because when Olivia finds out what you have done to her, she's going to be fucking pissed at you, woman. So that shit really pissed me off. I, I Look, look, look. I understand storytelling. I get it. But I'm like, guys, why can't you just be honest with each other? And this is something that actually...
0: It's one of those dramatic moments where you're like, oh, no, Nina. But if you start to think about it, it makes absolutely zero sense and is actually way more offensive to me than it should be. Because in this universe, this is Olivia Dunham's adopted mother. So they have a long history together. And not only is it just a long history together, it's one of caregiver and protector and the person being protected and to see this is such a violation that knowing nina's role is as her mother to do that to your child without their knowledge is just revolting makes me immediately hate nina even if we're supposed to like her because in this universe she has this deep relationship but it really is unsettling And some of the more sinister villainous shit we've ever seen Massive Dynamic do on the show in total. Because this is something that if it was for her own good, then Nina should have been able to talk to Olivia and convinced her to do it consciously. Not as some sort of violation being injected with something while she's unconscious. And yes, this does explain the headaches And the migraines, which is why she's able to function with a migraine. But I just, I really am interested to see how they write this without making us instantly distrust everything that Nina Sharp says from here on out.
1: Yeah, I, you know, and also, also, I think that beyond Olivia being pissed at Nina Sharp, I think that this is really going to weigh heavy on their relationship. And I really like what you said there. In this Remix universe, Nina is Olivia's adoptive mother, for the lack of a better word. So like you said, this is a tremendous betrayal. And if she has that type of relationship with Olivia, why doesn't she trust her enough to be honest with her, come to her and tell her this and submit to these experiments willingly? What does she think? that Olivia is going to say. Do you think she's going to think that Olivia is going to freak out, go the other direction, and and never want to see her again? Because our Olivia, before the remix, would have done that. But this Olivia doesn't seem like a person that would do that because Nina has been a loving mother figure to her in this instance. So I don't understand how Nina can justify this at all. I really, really don't. And I think, like you think, this is going to come and bite her in the ass.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it will be interesting to see how they play it out because if it was the old Nina Sharp that we had known who had just met Olivia Dunham at the start of the series, I would think, yeah, this is in line with her character, but this version of Nina Sharp that we're supposed to be understanding is Olivia's surrogate mom. It's really bad. It's really bad that she's the one who did this. So we will have to see how they write their way out of this next week when we talk about Season 4, Episode 8, Back to Where You've Never Been, and Season 4, Episode 9, Enemy of My Enemy. So that is the homework if you are watching along with us. If you guys are enjoying this show, thank you. We're happy that you're here. Please like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tweet, let people know anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. We have a channel, Radio 815, on there as well. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet using the hashtag Radio815 or add us, JJUniverse815. I'm on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter's a good spot to get in touch with you. How can the people do that?
1: You can find me on Twitter, as Matt said. I'm at CreekFanatic88.
0: That'll do it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, Radio815 over and out.
1: Radio815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.